Welcome to the fourth episode of VSTML 2018 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who, upon meeting people, prepares to sacrifice, cook and eat them, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We are nearly halfway through this season. Nine episodes we're doing, and this is number four. And it's rattling along. Yeah, we're keeping the momentum going. We're already on the fourth of flavoring. Let's jump into this. Yeah. So previously, the final eight headed to the mountains as they played a real-life version of Pac-Man in a Georgian village before facing the crosswalk of temptation. At a high-flying challenge, they finally got the pat out of the negative, but it was Bella who was forced to fly home herself after she got a red screen when she didn't play her yoka. And for this episode, they are back in Tbilisi. Art says that Bella's departure shocked them as she was the happiest in the group. Olche had tears in her eyes as they realised that with such a harsh game, goodbyes do end up happening. The mole is happy playing the game with nearly minus a thousand euros in the pot until the last challenge. Everyone agrees that they need to trust each other, but the mole is looking for confrontation. And in the group photo to start the episode, Luce looks down at the ground and then at the camera, which has been a mole hint before. The episode title is Perspective. So Simona says that everyone at breakfast on day six was upset. She wore something yellow in Bella's honour today. She was so loved in the group, not that we saw it. And Simona is now alone. Alche suggests that they enjoy all their moments together, as they never know when one of them might leave. Why yellow? Yellow was kind of her colour, because Bella seems to have taken all of her fashion advice from Georgie from the movie It, and wore a yellow raincoat all the time. Okay, because they don't really spell that in any of the first three episodes, that yellow was her colour. So it's just like, oh, I'm wearing yellow to honour Bella. It's like, well... Why that colour specifically? <laughs> Did I miss something? <laughs> I do love how they spent all of the start of this episode and all of the end of the last episode just going, oh, Bella was such a massive character in the group, and it's like, she had maybe five minutes of airtime in three episodes. We saw nothing of her. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting that it plays out that way. Yeah. I mean, we are going to get to the point pretty soon, I'd say from this episode onwards, actually, where we start losing the big characters. And we start losing them very quickly. Although pretty much this entire final seven is very big characters. So it's not actually as bad as it could be on other seasons. Yeah, it's not like we lose all of the, that all of the wind goes away from our sails by final three or final four. No. So the waiter comes over at breakfast with a phone. Obviously, Olche takes it and is the person to answer it. Art says on the phone that he's looking for three candidates who aren't claustrophobic. Those three will work together, as will the other four. Emilio immediately volunteers, as does Stina and Ruben. Luce, as is traditional now, begins to doubt. And Jan points out that she always wants to trade once they, as a group, have decided something. Stina notices that Ruben and Luce have a deal, and they are working together. They end up swapping, and the non-claustrophobic candidates are Luce, Stina, and Emilio. Ruben, Jan, Simona, and Alce are the other group, and Jan... In yet another example of brilliant clothing choices, and I would say that Jan, I think I said this to Bindles actually um, when I was watching this episode, I think Jan has probably the most Harmstone adjacent clothing choices this season, maybe in mole history, because with the exception of, in this case, the matching polo shirt and shorts, I probably would wear a lot of the ridiculous things that Jan wears. Including the pineapple socks? I was going to say towards the end of this episode, there are the pineapple socks and... Yeah, I have a quite a loud sock collection. I would probably wear pineapple socks. I've worn far more ridiculous 
garish things. But yeah, for some reason, Jan does seem to be dressed like a toddler in matching polo shirt and uh, and shorts in this challenge, and for most of this episode. So Art meets the group of four outside the hotel and tells them that the claustrophobic candidates are somewhere in the city and need to be found to earn any money. Sadly, they don't know where they are. All they have is a phone and the tools that the other team will give them. If they reunite within 45 minutes, they will earn 1,500 euros for the pot. And obviously, this challenge is called Ton of Izzy. And this entire episode has all three challenges named after classic mole phrases. Because you have Tunnel Vizzy, then you have um, Nita's Vought Head Light in, uh, in Challenge 2, and then the final one is the Red Thread. Yeah, so in other words, by Season 18, they're already looking at doing a bunch of throwback references. Oh yeah, this is definitely a, um, a callback to, to pretty much everyone. So the other three are in the Ristavelli Tunnels. There is a board with six photos and instructions for the other team. They have to pass on these instructions so the other group sees one of the locations in the photos, revealing which is the next instruction. Sadly, their phone only works in a place where there is signal, which is the one place where they have to stand on top of a ladder and poke their arm through a hole. And it ends up being Steena on the ladder, with Luce as conduit and Emilio on the board. And Steena says that she's glad Jan has the phone, because he's always very good with communication. The first instruction was to go right out the hotel, turn on the first street right, and then the fifth street left. How would you have played this? As a contestant or as a mole? Well, yes, but how would you have played this as a mole? Uh, I guess if I was locked in the tunnel there, I guess I would try to not get the phone in the best spot for when I'm for when I'm calling to the people that are running out. Screw up the pronunciation of some of the words very slightly. Um, or perhaps if I'm the one that's telling the person what to say on the phone, maybe maybe that's the person who should be screwing up the pronunciation repeatedly and taking a bit longer to run back and forth. I am wondering whether there was a rule that they told them about that they couldn't just unpin all the photos and the, the instructions, because that's my first thought. I would have been just like, I'm going to unpin everything. I'm assuming they couldn't do that, because that's way too easy. Yeah, like, they can't they can't uh, interfere with the structure of the challenge. Yeah, because otherwise you're just basically having one person stand on a ladder holding a phone and the other two handing them cards. Yeah, just send them to, to the places completely out of order. Yeah, exactly. So, Olche and Simona take charge of the guiding. Ruben says he's happy to let them guide so he can keep an eye on both of them. And he tells them this. He tells them that he's keeping an eye on all of them. <laughs> and Olche runs ahead and finds a dead end. Jan seems to be pointing them towards walking through an underpass where cars are. And sometimes stopping in the middle of the street to randomly confirm where they're supposed to go. I think as a mole, if you're in that team, you kind of just have to delay people as much as possible. You have to give them false leads or make sure they don't spot the Roman scene on the fountain, that sort of stuff. Lots of misdirection if you're in that group of four. I think is what you have to do. I think it's way easier to mole if you are in the group on foot than the group underground, purely because unless you're Steena on the phone, there's not a lot of moling you can really do. Apart from maybe make up false instructions, but then you've got to get creative and get creative quick. And you could get caught very easily on that. Yeah, if just any... if just 
somebody in your group of four was paying attention. Yeah. It's way easier to just mole in that group of four and lead people the wrong way or say, oh, I think it was that. That's definitely the fifth street through the underpass, or that's definitely the fifth street through people's houses. Yeah, just because there's... It, I mean, just trying to interpret directions in a foreign country is is very difficult at times. So there's a lot more room to be like, I'm certain we have to go this way. Oh, no, I was wrong. It's actually the opposite way. I'm sorry, guys. You can really play it off as an honest mistake. Yeah, it's way easier to mole in that group and get away with it, I think, than than trust that you can get away with it if you're in the tunnels. So, Steena rings them after 13 minutes to find that they're lost already. And when she's describing the photo of the Roman scene, Emilio just asks her to describe it normally. And she manages to accidentally hang up the phone mid-sentence. <laughs> Which is something I was very suspicious of at the time. That's the sort of thing I would have expected them all to do if they were in the tunnel. Is just pretend they're having uh, signal issues and just hang up the phone mid-sentence. Yeah, I give up on this. They, they know what to do. They'll find us. I'm assuming if Stina was the mole, she wasn't allowed to just turn off the phone. Yeah, take out the battery out of the back of the phone. It does feel a little bit like there are some hidden rules where it's just like, just don't mess with the actual integrity of this challenge. You're not your own. You don't need to do that yet. Yeah. <laughs> this group is suffering enough as it is. Exactly. So they retrace their steps and find the Roman scene on the fountain. The next instruction is to go to the right of Chotorustavelli Avenue. Simona recognises it as the street with the theatre from episode 2, and they find the bank with the arches there. The next instruction is to follow the road until the third street on the right. Emilio and Luce have an argument about her staying with him while he reads the clues. It is a matter of trust, but also it is Vias de Mol. Simona says that the stars that they're looking for were outside the theatre, and she remembers them. And they head to the theatre, but they're not the right stars. However, they do tell them that they are, and their next instruction is after the ballet and opera theatre, go left and go right onto Revers Tavishkavili Street. And I'm only having one attempt at that, because there is not a chance in hell that I'm going to improve on that. Tabukashvili Street? We're butchering Georgian. Yeah, not as bad as Emilio did. <laughs> Tabuka but Valley Street. And Jan says that communication between him and Stina is good. They didn't get caught in the Car Pac-Man game last episode. Because they were together. And with five minutes left, they still have three potential photos. They run through a park and run out of time to earn nothing of fifteen hundred euros for the challenge. And they reunite at a cafe by the theatre. Emilio says that the mole must be having so much fun with this group. Him and Jan have a little bond catch-up, and apparently Simona and Olshe led them astray. Simona's going up their rankings, and Jan says that Ruben did absolutely nothing, and admitted that he was just keeping an eye on everyone. What are you... <laughs> he should have been in the other group. I think they would have done better in this challenge if Ruben and Luce had not switched. Yeah, the problem is Luce, in any situation, is slightly chaotic, mistrusting energy. She just isn't to be trusted in any situation, I think. I, I don't think she would have said, I'm going to do nothing and keep an eye on you guys, though. No, she wouldn't have gone that far. But I I don't think Ruben would have done particularly well in Lucy's, uh, Lucy's position. Yeah, maybe he has an even tougher time with saying to Taboo Kishveli. And also, more importantly, he's much taller than her, so it would have been even less comfortable in those tunnels for him. Probably would have been able to get a stronger signal on the phone, though, by raising his arm a bit higher. 
True. He would have just kind of had to put it at shoulder height and he would have been absolutely fine. On Stine, who probably had to go on tippy toes the whole time. It did slightly worry me seeing the older female candidate in this season climbing up a very rickety ladder, holding something above her head. You're just going, that is a health and safety nightmare. You are just waiting for that that ladder to slide, aren't you? So the other buns have a catch-up. Nothing stood out for Luce. Jan did everything they asked, but Ruben said he tried to turn them away from the stars outside the theatre, even though they were wrong. Stina says that the only person that could have done anything is Emilio, and Olche says that Ruben was suspicious. Art says that it is Independence Day in Georgia, and as I pointed out last episode, somehow I still remembered this, it is May 26th. That's how we know when the season was filmed. And that is the day that they liberated themselves from the Tsar in 1918. It didn't last long, because three years later it became a Soviet state, until 1991. And they celebrate the fall of the Russian Empire, It is the perfect time to test the candidate's independent thinking with questions that will test their conscience. A candidate that does well in this challenge can earn themselves a trip to the finale. I have a theory about this episode, and it goes back to the question of what would have happened if Ron was saved. I think that this episode would have been episode 3, and I think that the mountain one would have been episode 4. Because, quite specifically, they don't have to point out that it's Independence Day in Georgia for this episode to work. The actual park that they do it in celebrates something else, and we'll get to that in a minute because that is a interesting story. But I have a suspicion that they would have done the mountainous episode in episode four with eight people still, and they would have done the um, the episode in, in Tbilisi again for episode three. Okay, why do you think that? Well, we know we know there had to be eight people really for all of last episode to work. Maybe not the car challenge, but the crosswalk of temptation and the um, and the paragliding both have to have eight people. So short of them doing a double elimination in episode two to compensate for Ron coming back, they would have had to move it to this one. And this one, you can kind of shift it anywhere in the episode order, I would say. They probably change the stakes of the final challenge. They probably don't make it a group exemption or 5,000 euros. They probably make it a, an ultimatum like everyone who picks the selfish option gets two yokers or they get 5,000 euros for the group, something like that. Because the actual ultimatum of do you think for yourself or do you think for the group, it doesn't work with the actual consequences that are here. Because technically both of them are doing something for the group. Because you either earn 5,000 euros for the group and therefore make everyone a bit happier, or you do the group exemption and therefore make everyone a bit happier. So you're saying that they they made this too much of a win-win situation? Yeah, that final challenge was a victory regardless of what they actually picked as long as the correct person went over. So it would have fit much more with this being episode three and having nine people do it because you still then could have could have kind of made it work, I think. I think if Ron comes back, three and four swap and the punctuation mark to the final challenge changes. I think they just scrap the group exemption and change it to something like two yokers for each person who selects this option. Because that is something that is very selfish as a choice. I don't think that picking 5,000 euros is a selfish choice here. Do you think they really counted on Ron being brought back in the second episode? I think so, yeah. I think that's the one kind of asterisk to that twist, is the fact that if Ron is brought back in that episode, and I genuinely cannot remember whether the mole was strongly suggested to go and meet Ron if, if other people were, or whatever... 
I think we will end up talking about that at the end of the season because I've got a feeling they were basically told do it if other people are going to, but then had to think on their own feet when nobody went for it. I think producers assumed that Ron would get brought back. When he wasn't, they then changed it around so that the mountain episode, which had to be done with eight people, the only challenge of those three that would have worked with a different number would have been the car challenge. The last two have to be done with eight people because otherwise it just doesn't work. I think they then swapped three and four around. And I don't know anything to to say that I'm actually right on this, but it's just a gut feeling based on the structure of the episodes. But yeah, especially when that one challenge really needed to have uh, four pairs for it to work. Yeah, you absolutely have to have eight people for the crosswalk temptation. There is no question about that. You have to have an even number for the paraglide challenge, really. I don't think you could work it with nine. Maybe you add another person onto the board, but I think it probably would have got in the way a bit too much. Whereas this episode, you absolutely can scrap that non-elimination twist, or the potential non-elimination twist, and just change what the potential selfish option is. Because 5,000 euros isn't a selfish choice. It's a choice for the group still, I would say. A group exemption is obviously very much a choice for the group. You've got to have something tempting, like like an exemption for everyone who selects it, which would have been very interesting. But then, of course, you risk another group exemption situation. Or you have something like two or three yokers per person who selects this option. But it has to be a majority decision for that to happen. I don't think either of the two options we had in this episode were actually that selfish. Yeah, I hadn't thought about before that they would have had the swap based on whether or not Rob or Ron was in the game. Yeah, this kind of came to me when I was watching the episode a few days ago, and I, I ran it past Bindles, and he was like, no, I'd never actually thought of that. But I think it's really interesting if you look at it that way and you go, well, from a production standpoint, were they expecting Ron to come back? What was the contingency if he did? And I can't see any of the rest of the season changing. Yeah, that's the thing when you contrast it with, say, Survivor, with whenever they bring back a player midway into the season, it's not a matter of, well, other than the outcast twist in Pearl Islands. But anytime they brought a player back into the game after being voted out after that, it wasn't uh, if they will be back into the game. It was guaranteed so they can have the format locked in 100%. Here with Vidim, they do variations of this twist so many times that they always need to have a contingency plan in place. Yeah, I just think that of all the Vidim seasons that I've seen, at least, this is potentially the most interesting contingency plan because they genuinely didn't know until nobody went for Ron in uh, in episode 2 that Ron wouldn't be coming back so you then have to go what would they have done if he did and despite the fact that obviously they do it really well they tie it into the Independence Day thing in this episode, it doesn't hinge on it being Independence Day, it's just a nice additional fact just makes the, the park more crowded for the mole to be there I mean, as a twist, it probably works out better for them because then obviously there is a lot more cover for the mole. But in in May, and I think, if I remember rightly, it was a Sunday, May 26th. If they do that a day earlier or whatever, the park's still going to be full and there's still going to be preparations for Independence Day coming. Instead of saying that it's Independence Day in Georgia, Art can just go, well, it's Independence Day tomorrow in Georgia and, and everyone's getting everything ready. Everyone's chilling at the park. Yeah. Because it looked like a very nice day in, in Tbilisi that day as well. A bit nicer weather than on the mountain where everyone was half frozen to death. <laughs> yeah, I actually looked that up. It was not actually that bad weather in um, in the mountains that day. It was just bitterly cold winds. 
it was just the winds that were the issue. It was uh, it was actually about eleven degrees, I think. Jeez, it's like Dubrovnik in Croatia. If it's where it, the wind makes it really, really cold at night, but if it's not windy, it's actually it actually feels quite nice. Yeah, Tbilisi was about twenty twenty five when they were there in this episode, I think. So Art meets them one by one in Ninth of April Park which commemorates the day when an anti-Soviet demonstration was crushed by the Soviet army, resulting in 21 deaths, and April 9th is now a day of national unity in Georgia. And as I said earlier, this challenge is called Nietz is what het liked, which is pretty much the mantra of Fiestemol, nothing is what it seems. And I believe we have used that as an episode title before. I think we used it as a Belgian one. So they will be asked questions from a flowchart by art. To reach the finale, they must make tactical decisions. They can earn themselves an exemption for the finale, but the question is how tough they play this challenge. The first question is, do you want to know who the mole is? Emilio says yes. The second question is whether he's willing to get rid of Jan. He says yes. He has to make a choice, either €5,000 in the pot or a group exemption. He chooses a group exemption, but then chooses himself and changes to €5,000. And Art utters the immortal line that we love so much on this podcast, has been noted, and then Emilio is sent away. And Art literally does say, has been noted. (laughs) Jan is second. He says he wants to know who the mole is. And he initially says that he's not willing to get rid of Emilio, but then changes his mind. And we don't see what he picks. Stina is third. He doesn't want to know who the mole is. And she says she's willing to steal Yokos from other candidates. She chooses a group exemption. In this phase, it's more important to collect information about the mole. That is the real ticket to the finale. How would you have played this as a uh, candidate or a mole? As a candidate, I'd probably just say, I I assume I would just want to answer yes to the first two questions, because it's essentially the two most selfish options. And for the third option, if I only had 810 euros in the pot, I guess 5,000 euros would seem really good at that point. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because... I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know what the actual twist to this challenge is. We know that regardless of what they pick, it's going to end up being 5,000 euros or a group exemption. There is no alternative outcome that we're aware of for this challenge. I think you just have to play it as selfishly as possible, assuming that no one else is going to find out the results. I don't think there is another option for this challenge. You kind of have to, especially pretty much midway through the season, you have to go, a bond's only going to get me so far, isn't it? And am I willing to sacrifice people? Maybe, potentially. Yeah, I think Stina is the only person who says no to the first question. She is, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to know who the mole is already. I want it to remain a mystery. I don't want to win. I think, actually, we got more of a good impression of Stina in this episode. Because she is the only person who says, no, I don't want to know who the mole is. And she's also, at breakfast, the only person who picks out that Ruben and Luce have a a bond. She's the only one we see mention it, and she knows what their game is. And as much as I do have kind of a recollection of Stina being a bit of a dope in this season, she was my lovable, old, useless female contestant who I do adore, and she's one of my favourites this season. But we were reminded in episode one that she is in theory the most book-smart mole contestant ever in terms of being able to pick who the mole should be because she's written books on lying. And especially this episode, you get a very good impression that Stina has a lot of knowledge. She's just not necessarily street smart. (laughs) 
we get more of the she's not very good at being around people impression in the next episode, I would say. But in this episode, we are very much reminded that she's a very clever lady, and she's very perceptive, even if she's not necessarily the most competent mole contestant or mole we've ever seen. Yeah, she doesn't really fit the mold, the mold as no pun intended. She doesn't fit the mold as much as the other uh, older female contestants we've had in the past. No, there are some massive highlights in terms of both Stina and other older female contestants coming, but I got a better vibe from Stina after watching this episode than I did when I watched it originally three years ago. I have a bit more respect for her now. Especially compared to, say, uh, actually, I think she might have been near the top of my suspect list when the season originally aired. You did say you were going to try and dig out your um, your suspect list, or at least our chats. Yeah, I'm trying to find it, but it just came to me now. I'm pretty sure I suspected her uh, early on in the season. Well, not spoiling the end of this episode, but Stina was my number one suspect this week. <laughs> in January 2018, she was my number one. Mainly because I'd been burned by older female moles before and, and <laughs> not trusted my gut on them. And it was just kind of a vibe with her. Whether I was correct is another story. But for now, we'll just say she was my number one suspect at this point of the season. Yeah, but she's definitely one of the most perceptive older female contestants they've ever had. Yeah. She's better than certain other female uh, contestants in terms of picking up on stuff. Maybe not physical ability, but she definitely serves her place in the season. So Ruben is fourth. His reaction to the exemption for the finale reveal is... Pretty typically, Ruben, very understated and wonderful. A variety telling for the finale. <laughs> I said this last week, the week before. I have a lot more love for Ruben on the rewatch of this season. I kind of, I don't know. I didn't hate him. I just thought he was kind of there. But his reactions are so good in this season. He's very good as a straight man. Well, I, I think we talked about this when the season originally aired, but Ruben gets a ton of airtime all season. He serves as the narrator. Yeah, he basically narrates the season, and that starts kind of episode two or three. I was avoiding pointing it out as much, purely because, you know, it may sort of lead towards whether Ruben does well in the season or not. But Ruben is, hands down, the narrator of this season. So much of this season comes from Ruben's perspective. Food for thought. Yeah, it's something I never noticed before. I think it's because he throws in a lot of great quotes in each episode. He's just a very easy person to go to to help communicate what the group is thinking in a very clear way. In contrast to, say, somebody like Olche, who is probably a bit more all over the place in her confessionals. So, Ruben's fourth. He doesn't want to know who the mole is initially. He has a good feeling already. He changes his mind on that question, though. He also says he's willing to get rid of Luce, and we don't see what he picks. Luce is fifth, she wants to know who the mole is, and is willing to get rid of Ruben. She chooses 5,000 euros, as Kenneth is macked. Simona is sixth, she wants to know who the mole is, and Ruben is picked on yet again. She isn't willing to get rid of him, as he is her mole, and if she gets rid of him, that means getting rid of the mole. She's asked if she's the mole, and she says no. She chooses a group exemption. Olche is last, she wants to know who the mole is, she's willing to get rid of Stina, people are selfish, and all Olche wants to do is win. She's certain of her choice, 
but we don't get to see it. Art gathers them together and says that it was an interesting afternoon. They've all shown how far they will go to win the season. They could have already had their trip to the finale if they paid attention, as the mole walked right past them while they were answering questions, and everyone is a little bit dumbfounded. And I have to say, I love a Meet the Mole challenge anyway, I love a surprise Meet the Mole challenge even more. Because it is such a good reveal, and such a good twist to go, oh by the way, yeah this was a Meet the Mole challenge, you could have met the mole if you'd paid attention. Yeah, and everyone, you can see everyone mentally scanning through their whole communication with art. And they all come to the same conclusion that they were too focused on the damn board. <laughs> That's the thing, art is the perfect distraction man on this on this challenge. It's brilliant. It'd be funnier if art art's eye suddenly dart to where the mole was standing. Because then I think the contestants would have a, would be more prompted to try and turn around and see where the mole was. <laughs> I think unsurprisingly, given that he's basically a best friend of the podcast, we talk a lot about Gilles de Costa being a great mole host and having all of the qualities you want in a great mole host. I think Art is a very good mole host. He's very versatile. He's very versatile. He's very much, as I said in episode two, he's very much into the ridiculousness of this game. Not meaning to jump ahead, but that's gonna that's gonna hit us like a bus for the first challenge in episode five. Yeah, Art is very much willing to make a fool of himself if he needs to. Who can limbo? But more importantly, he didn't have the teething issues that Rick did. I know that Art is obviously a more experienced TV presenter, even in the start of of season twelve when he picked it up, than Rick was. And Rick was obviously very nervy, and I don't want to constantly bitch about Rick again. But Art, pretty much from minute one of season 12, at least got how stupid this show is and leaned into it. Whereas I think Rick is still three seasons, is it now? Four seasons that we've seen in four seasons? Rick is still four seasons in that we've seen so far. He's still kind of stiff and awkward in a lot of places. And it's a shame, because... I think it's slightly emblematic of the production choices, which I know we're going to get into in the uh, in the finale episode, so look forward to that in five weeks' time. And then at the end of the challenge, everybody's going mad, or going crazy over the fact of trying to figure out how they missed out on the mole. And then Jan says, it is the confirmation that this is such a dumb group. And then Old Chase, and then Old Chase says, this, yeah, I think whoever is the mole amongst us is very, very good. And I would agree with that. Whoever is the mole amongst them is very, very good. As they sit at 810 euros with only one challenge to go in episode four. So Emilio says he feels like an idiot. Alce says that she tried looking at everyone's faces for clues, but the mole is so good because nobody moved a muscle. Maybe it's Botox. Alce and Emilio have drinks after the challenge and debrief. They don't believe that anyone saw the mole. Alce admits that she sacrificed them all, cooked and ate them and he doesn't believe that she was honest about what she chose. They are in the Soviet district on day 7. Jan says that Tbilisi has a lot of nice areas, but this isn't one of them. It was sort of a ghetto with unfinished flats. Subtle, guys. Subtle. (laughs) Tbilisi's so wonderful, but this is a shithole. Yeah. I'm thinking, ooh, hopefully no one in Georgia was watching this. (laughs) Notice how this season was not sponsored by the Georgian Tourist Board. (laughs) 
it isn't a uh, a Belgian Germany situation where it very much is sponsored by the tourist board. Art says that the previous day they had to make a choice, either five thousand euros for the pots or an exemption for the group. Some chose money, some chose the exemption. In Vestemol, majority rules. Each of them will receive an envelope, one containing what they chose as a group, and six which are empty. If that envelope makes it to the other side, they will keep whatever's in it. If not, the execution will happen as normal. The other side is at the end of a zipline, off the roof of one of the buildings, and the title is The Red Thread. Ruben, it's fair to say, is not the best with heights. Yeah, and this isn't the first time that this has come up, because in the second episode too, when they had the, uh, or I guess, no, third episode. Yeah, so I guess this is the second episode in a row where it's it's already clear that Ruben doesn't like heights because he wanted nothing to do with the with the gliding challenge in the previous episode. He said, no, I'm just going to be on the ground handling the trivia questions. And then here, there is no alternative. You have to do the heights-related task. And Luz just observes him the whole time and says, that looks like a guy who is absolutely terrified of what he's supposed to do. I must admit, I've done a fair amount of zip lines, which do tend to terrify me regardless of how high up. I would not be particularly comfortable at doing this zip line. It is just a makeshift thing between two crumbling ex-Soviet buildings. I don't know whether I'd be comfortable with zip lining between them, however fun it looked. They should tell them the equipment being used was also ex-Soviet equipment. It does call to mind the Belgian Mall Vietnam premiere with the bungee jump, where they actually had to make sure that they brought their own people over to do the bungee jump and look after it, because they couldn't trust Vietnam's safety standards. It just made me think, I hope that someone has done this before, because otherwise it looks a bit too terrifying safety-wise. So, Ruben has to tell himself that he's doing it. He's terrified of heights, but he wants to do it, and Lucy's very excited at the prospects of doing it. Emilio isn't super relaxed. He wants Jan to go first, then the women, then himself and Ruben. Stina says she has a wrist injury, so isn't sure she'll be able to do it. Jan says that he's going first and will make it look easy, because making it look easy means that they win the content of the envelope. He foolishly looks over the edge and advises them all not to. And I do have another note which, as we said earlier, Jan has great socks. Purple pineapple socks. Yeah, purple pineapple socks. Love a purple pineapple sock in this household. They have to go backwards, which is always more fun. And when they get about three quarters of the way there, they do have to pull themselves up. Emilio is the second to go, seeing Jan go is very encouraging, but then you have to actually walk up to the building. The zipline is attached to the building, but the building feels like it'll collapse at any moment, and he releases with such speed that he doesn't even need to pull himself over. Olche goes third, she could see that Ruben was very nervous, but was looking forward to it herself and knew which envelope she was taking straight away. Sadly, she also has to pull herself over. Ruben is fourth to go, reluctantly. He has a mantra that he wants to do things, no matter what. Luce says she could see him dying inside. He looks over the edge one too many times and says he can't do it. Nay, nay, nay. And seeing him quit makes Stina say absolutely no way to doing it next, or at all, ever. I want to do it. I want to want to do it. Luce actually goes next. She wants to earn some money. She has absolutely no hesitation and flies over. She practically pushes away Ruben and and Stina to do it. She did. I'd kind of forgotten how much of an adrenaline junkie Luce is. She wants to do everything adventurous. And Simona is the last person up. She wants to hear the successful people chant for her. Something clicks when she launches off the building and clicks again when she's about halfway. And she has the added fun of having to pull herself 
a long way across that zip line. And if we had gifts as banners, this would definitely be a contender. As it happens, though, it's Jan's reluctant thumbs up this week. I think as soon as that happened, Steen is probably thinking, I am very glad I chose not to do this challenge because with an injured wrist, I don't think I'd want to pull myself halfway across between two buildings. I think we actually mentioned this maybe in Renaissance, but because of the whole pandemic and budgets being tight and stuff, I went down to four days a week for about three months last year. And the one time I actually did anything on my on my extra day off of the week, I went to basic high wires obstacle course. The one thing they drummed into us was you are attached by two lines. Do not put your safety line anywhere near the actual line because you'll need it if the other one breaks. This just brought back flashbacks of that where I'm like, she did not listen to that safety briefing. Something pings and she goes down about three or four feet and you're like, yeah, someone didn't listen to a safety briefing here. There is not a lot they can do for you if you're swinging from a Soviet building here. You need to help you help yourself. Yeah, I didn't because I've done yeah I've done high wire courses too, and yeah I keep I forgot forgot about that technical part where you really need to be careful about where your two lines are, otherwise you'll end up like Simona. Yeah, the one thing they said to us on the zip line was put one on one side of the thing that pulls you along, put the other on the other side, and don't let either of them touch the actual wire because it will break them. So yeah, Simona's an idiot in summary. She does eventually make it to the other side though. Her wrist probably hurt more than than Stina's after that, because that was a long way. Yeah, she had to pull herself up probably 20, 30 feet, and you're you're hanging between two buildings. I thought they were going to have to send somebody out to pull her her back across. Uh, I think they were probably very close to having to do that. That would have made very entertaining television if they'd just chucked a rope out and said, we'll pull you across. Because I've been in that situation where... Towards the end of one of the final courses, I fell, and I just could not get myself to to be able to touch the wire again and pull myself across. Yeah. <laughs> I was just stuck hanging between the two platforms, and somebody had to come out and grab me and bring me back. So, Art does meet them on the other side. Five envelopes made it across, and they were playing for 5,000 euros, much to Olshay's delight. The first two envelopes are empty, but the third one contains 5,000 euros, mean they earn five thousand euros for the challenge, five thousand euros out of six and a half thousand for the episode, five thousand eight hundred and ten euros of thirty one thousand five hundred for the season so far. And Olche says that she's very happy that they finally have a pot to write home about. As a result of them winning five thousand euros, it is now time for the test. Twenty questions on the identity and actions of the mole who ever knows least is out of the game except for the mole who can never go home. Jan has a green exemption and Stina has a black one. And the test takes place at Sarajishvili. Alche says she decided to spread less on three people and guess on questions she doesn't know. Ruben was on Emilio a lot, but he's starting to doubt that. He also has Simona, because she keeps sending him the wrong way in challenges. Simona is on Ruben, but also Jan as he's so fanatic. He's so busy showing how much he wants to win money in the pot that it feels like an act. Jan has heard that Alche gave the black exemption to Stina, but he doesn't know if she's got to play it. He's not going home with an exemption in his pocket, so he plays it. Stina says Emilio is such a good actor, he manoeuvres through things with ease and is her mole. Emilio's got four suspects, Luce, Ruben, Simona and Olche. He could spread between them, but then you only have five good answers, and he's not sure if that will be enough to survive. Luce says Emilio didn't have room to mole in the tunnels, but he's still her mole as he's mysterious and would be a good mole. 
Art says that they could have prevented the test and execution, but the majority chose the money. Yan's exemption keeps him safe, and Ruben, Stina, and Dolce all get green screens before my main suspect at the time in Emilio goes home. And I did forget a little thing that they deliberately put everyone who hadn't seen a screen yet at the front of this execution. So we saw everyone's first screen in this execution who hadn't seen one before. Including Emilio. Including Emilio. Because the four people we saw were the four people who up to this point had not seen a screen. Everyone is sad. He was a major part of the group. He switched at the last minute and doubted too much in the test. The questions were too detailed for him, which wasn't his strong point. His montage is almost entirely him ziplining. And he thinks that he was the one who brought the 5,000 euros over due to the thickness of his envelope. And he hopes that Jan wins as he's his bond and is working really hard. It's kind of funny that four out of seven players didn't see their first screen until episode four. I know. That never happens again, I don't think. No. Well, just think of how difficult it is for it, for that to happen. Because the first episode you have, just four people take the first quiz and one of them has to go home. The second episode, somebody quits. And in the third episode, I guess, when Bella goes home, they don't type in that many names. No, it was... I think it was about four names before Bella. And I guess a couple of them must have been... Must have been Luce and Yan? Because Luce and Yan were the only two left in, in episode three who had seen the screen. <laughs> yeah, so it's Simona, Yan, and Luce who got green screens before Bella was sent home. So the two of the screens were people who... The only two people who had seen the screen so far. Yeah. So they could have really played it where only... Where by episode six, there still could have been two people who had never seen their names typed in. Yeah, it was getting to the point where we were going to get a Craig Silker-style you never see your screen, that's a hint clue. Yeah. Because that genuinely was uh, was one of his clues, was Craig never saw a screen during the entire season. I think that was an NG Everhart clue in Celebrity Mall Yucatan. Although there's the added, uh, or it was either her or Frederick, can't remember, one of the Celebrity Malls anyway, where that was a clue too. Which is a lot easier when you only start the season with seven or eight people in the Celebrity Mall USA editions. Yeah. So next time, everyone runs across Tbilisi before joining the circus and building a house of cards like this is Amazing Race Australia. A giant word search makes them cross before Luce and Ruben's bond strengthens. And at the time, I suspected in order, Stina, Luce, Jan, Ruben, Olche and Simona. The Bothers Bar top three at the time were Stina, Olche and Simona. They were convinced it was a female mall, eh? They really were. So... Have you got a eulogy for Emilio, seen as though he's probably our, our biggest loss so far of the season? Oh, remember his jean jacket fashion choice. He did love double denim, didn't he? He must have been inspired by Canada. And nobody expected him to go, and I think at the end he said that he switched his quiz at the last minute, doubted himself too much, and and he just he, at the end he just admits, actually it was because the questions were too detailed. <laughs> So even if he was on the right mall, he may have gotten a lot of those questions wrong. I think Emilio's the first person to go home this season who was really suspected by both people in the game and outside the game. Because I seem to remember that Emilio was very, very suspected at the time. A lot of people lost a lot of points on the uh, the official Vidim pool this week, I think. Oh, Emilio Guzman. But at least he, he gave a gift of 5,000 euros to the pot. Yeah. In the end, Emilio isn't actually that big a character, but after four episodes, Emilio is a pretty big loss to the season, because you go, 
oh, but he was a really suspicious guy. Who's it going to be now? Is there anyone we can actually trust? Yeah, I forgot how many times he screws up during the season. Or just overall shade. There was just this aura of shadiness around him that didn't really exist around many of the other players. Yeah, for someone who only really lasts three episodes, because the first episode, you basically don't see anyone other than Yan and Jean-Marc and, uh, and Luce and Ron, really. For someone who only lasts three episodes, he does have a big impact, but he's kind of forgotten in the the annals of Vidim history, I would say. He's overshadowed by a lot of the rest of this cast. Yeah, that's a good way to sum him up. Because, yeah, when the, when we started this rewatch, I was thinking, who is Emilio? <laughs> it was Emilio and... and uh, Stina, you forgot about. Stina, yeah, Stina. I forgot about those two people. I'm thinking, they must go home early. And then Emilio makes it four episodes in. Yeah, because once the fourth episode starts, I'm thinking, okay, that he has to go this round. <laughs> Because I have no recollection of him whatsoever. Yeah, I think on any other season, Emilio probably would have been a bigger presence. But this cast is so stacked, especially from Final Six onwards. I would say pretty much everyone in this Final Six brings their A-game from now on. They are all huge characters that, when you're looking back to something like Renaissance, you go, it's an embarrassment if Richie who we could bring back. You genuinely could have brought back any of the final six of this season, and I think you would have been pretty happy with it. Whereas in other seasons, if Emilio is there, Emilio probably is a contender to come back for Renaissance from another season if he'd been on maybe two, three years earlier. So we genuinely cannot actually understate Emilio's impact, even though actually in this season, he probably doesn't have much of an impact in the grand scheme of things. Everyone goes, oh shit, my mole's gone. But you don't actually feel the loss of Emilio like you would if he was in another season. He was just maybe yeah. maybe two or three seasons too late to actually get himself a trip back to Renaissance. Which is weird. Weird to think about. That we could have had a second season of Emilio Guzman. <laughs> Someone who you literally forgot about. So we get anything else you want to say before we start talking about what the mole did? No, I think I'm good. Cool. So, thank you for listening to our VS to Mole 2018 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another old mole in Georgia. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out, and just chill till the next flavoring. And please stay tuned for what the mole did. So what did the mole do? Uh, the mole was standing right behind the contestants. <laughs> I love this twist so much. I actually looked back at Bindle's uh, challenge guide for this episode, and he was not a huge fan of that challenge. And I'm like, but the impacts of this challenge is so good. Just the shock on everyone's faces going, oh crap, they fooled us. And they fooled us with a meet the mole challenge of all things. We've not seen one of these in ages. One note uh, I had about this challenge, I was thinking, if Vidim was just a standard 40-minute episode like Canadian or American television, this challenge definitely wouldn't have been in there. It would just it wouldn't have been planned. But because they have to fill a solid 60 minutes of running time, then they need to throw in like, okay, well, we don't we can't keep doing these high budget challenges. What can we do? Oh, I know. Let's do this. Meet the mold challenge to fill up one of the challenge spots. So really, the only payoff is just the shock on everyone's face. 
But is there really much else to this challenge? Well, no, of course not. No. There's absolutely no impact on the season from this challenge. It's just really fun character-wise. Well, other than the traversing, whether they picked 5,000 euros or grip exemption. I think if they didn't want to do this challenge, they could have just had Art pull everyone aside for the zipline challenge and just go, the next challenge is going to basically be up to you guys. Do you want to play for 5,000 euros or a group exemption? I think you could easily yada yada that in two minutes before the uh, the zipline challenge and save yourself yeah. potentially 20 minutes of airtime. But it's fun in it. It's a really fun challenge. Yeah, but yeah, if it was a 40-minute challenge or a 40-minute episode, there's no way this challenge to be in there. It's like, well, we still have 10 to 15 minutes to fill. Let's put this in there. Yeah, and I don't know whether I'm right with this theory, but I have a feeling this is the point where Ruben starts suspecting Yan a little. Because he was looking to the side a lot in his round on this challenge. More so than anyone else. I think Ruben sniffed something was up. And I think maybe he saw a glimpse of Yan. Did he say something about that in the reunion episode? I genuinely can't remember it. It's it's killing me that I'm watching these episodes one at a time before we actually do the recordings. So I can't say that for certain. But I just have a suspicion that maybe this is where he starts slightly suspecting Yan. He doesn't put everything on Yan yet, because that's only the last two tests. But he looks like he twigged something with with that challenge. And I think when Emilio goes, Somi looks at Yan a bit more, since that was Emilio's ally. Yeah. Speaking of which, Yan really plays Emilio through these first three, through these last three episodes. Poor, poor, sweet Emilio. But yeah, he just gets played so hard by Yan. Right from episode two, when they make that bond, Emilio tells him everything. The only person who he trusts 100%, and Yan just crushes him in this game. But Yan is such a good mole, that's the problem. We said this over and over again. Yan is a gold standard mole in a gold standard season, and you don't tend to get both of those things in the same season. You don't tend to get a really good mole in a really good season. It tends to be an okay mole in a really good season, see South Africa, or a really good mole in a not great season, see Czechia. And I think the only true challenge sabotage this episode from from Yan was stopping the group as much as he could when they were searching for the team in the tunnels. Yeah, I think he definitely tried to lead them on the wrong path. I think he was deliberately misleading them by trying to get them to go through the underpass. He also, maybe a more subtle one, I have a suspicion that he kept looking down on the zip line to try and convince Ruben and Stina not to do it. I think for all his bravado going, oh, I want to prove how easy it is, he looked down far more than you would if you were trying to convince everyone it was easy. Yeah, because he's like, oh, don't look down. It's scary if you look down. Whatever you do, don't do it. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> But yeah, in that first challenge, the most obvious sabotage, not just with the underpass and stuff, because he would stop to call people, he would stop to want to call the tunnel people to confirm what to do. Like, as soon as the group wanted to move, I noticed that Jan was the main person you see throughout the challenge who gets everyone to just stop moving, <laughs> even if it's just for a few seconds here and there. He pretty much was living up to his character and what he was dressed as, as being a gigantic toddler, just getting in the way all the time and dragging his family back. Curious if this is when Ruben starts suspecting him, because Ruben said, I want to hang back 
and observe everybody in this challenge. I'm not going to do anything to help us, and I'm not going to do anything to hurt us. So I'm curious if that was code for, I think Yan might be the mole, and I really want to see what Yan does when I just say, I'm not going to do anything, it's all on you, buddy. I think this is the episode where Ruben definitely at least starts suspecting Yan. Up to this point, we've only seen Simona put him in top three, and even that was kind of half-hearted. Yeah, I suppose it has to be him. Maybe I'll chuck a couple of questions on him. Up until this point, only Simona said that. I have a feeling that Ruben especially, especially once Luce goes in the next episode, goes, we're on the wrong path here. Maybe it's Yan. And also, really, really fun thing that I can't mention in the regular recaps at the moment is this episode starts my favourite Vidum subplot ever, which is production pretty much begging and pleading with the contestants to take a non-elimination. And Olche turning around and going, no, not taking a non-elimination, not costing any money from the pot for a non-elimination, you bribe us for that, or nothing. This happens three times during the season, I think. They end up having to actually orchestrate a challenge at final five to go, we're basically going to give you a free non-elimination here because Olche keeps saying, now we're playing for money for the pot regardless. I don't care how many people go home. We're playing for money for the pot. And it's so funny. It brings me such joy every time I think about this sneaky subplot of, of production essentially just going, come on guys, we need a non-elimination somewhere. You're going to have to do it eventually. And Olche just going, no we're not. Yeah, because this is their yeah, this is already their second failed attempt. I forgot about that. Because they had they had the second episode with Ron, and then they had this, and then Old Chase like ready one hundred and ten euros. You want us to turn down five thousand euros? That would be a five hundred percent increase to the pot. Eventually, they do just get to the point of final five where they go, "Please come on, we'll absolutely orchestrate one where you can earn money as well. Just let us have our non-elimination." Otherwise, we have to have a non-elimination at final three. It just doesn't work with the episodes. Come on, please. <laughs> you got anything else you want to say? No, not without jumping ahead to episode five, where Art says, Olche is playing for the group, but she forgets that there is a mole who is not doing so. <laughs> it's just Art openly making fun of Olche, being obsessed with wanting money in the pot, and then they even air a Ruben confessional of, I assigned Olche to play for the most money because she loves money. I ruddy love Olche Gilson. She is, I would say, my favourite Vidim contestant ever because she's unapologetically Olche and we're really going to start getting that from next week. Welcome to the segment of not what the mole did, but what, what did Olche do? Yeah. There is here a chance op een vrijstelling. Op de finale. 